Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Low Rates, High Returns podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Pete. The subject of today's episode is paying dividends, the role and importance of distributions. So um, Steve, I'm pretty sure your earliest experience in stocks was on the Sydney Seconds board, a, a hot, hot, Pivot group. A hot uh, insider tip from a friend or work colleague. Um, Still owes me money. Yeah, I think uh, the earliest investments we got were actually uh, index trackers. Obviously, those were very much um, designed with a long-term hold in mind and they're pretty safe and stable investments because in Britain they had these things called ICEs, which were effectively um, just a tax-free vehicle for investing. So a lot of people were doing that. What's called ICEs? Yeah, so it's like an individual savings account. They're they're capped at a certain level though, so you can only go up to um, a few thousand a year uh, for each individual. Um, But then subsequently... Obviously, you start, I started looking for a bit more excitement, and then that's when you start getting into speculation in the mining stocks. Beautiful. And, uh, like a lot of people, yeah, had some great experiences <laughs> and some uh, suboptimal results. <laughs> uh, one came suboptimal and, results, and, <laughs> and then the other. I suppose my point there being that there was no no focus on dividends or earnings yield because a lot of those companies. <laughs> Well, wouldn't have earnings, and especially in Australia, because you get a lot of exploration yeah, yeah. mining juniors that actually never make a profit. So you, you're literally just hoping that somebody else will come along and pay more for the stock than you did, uh, the greater fall theory, or just you're hoping that they find a big elephant discovery, yeah, yeah. or you just pick the next big winner. And I think you said... Uh, previously, that um, your earliest experience in stocks was along similar lines. Yeah, I yeah. I took, um, yeah, as you said, it was Pivot Group in about 1983 or 84 because it was the Sydney Seconds board then. So, yeah, it's it's just interesting that it's it's funny, you know, it's so predictable that no one, no one who first invests said, oh, yeah, you know, I did a really sensible thing and I bought sensible shares. If you did, it's usually because your old man said, you know, son, buy, you know, Telstra. Um, no one got fired by buying IBM or something like that. The interesting thing is if you look as, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, the big portion of stock returns is actually dividends, but it's hard to see that if you're only in a, in a looking at a short space of time. And I remember when I read that, I was actually quite shocked about it because what it means is you want to look for solid dividend paying companies rather than you know, the companies that go up 100% in a year. And it's a really sort of salient lesson to learn about building wealth, you know, compounding and steadily. It's it's really like I'm just trying to win the lotto rather well, totally, than saying. Yeah. And I, I suppose this is one of the, uh, the, 
the great things that superannuation has done in Australia because it actually forces people yeah. to say, look, you're only 22, but you're, you're not touching this money till you're yeah. 60 or 65. We're telling you at 60, you're going to need some money, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's very hard to get excited, you know, and even when I was at school, we always used to go down to the, the bookies and, uh, you know, you put, you put uh, a pound on a race and you you try and pick the 14 to one shot yeah, or yeah. you'd bet on the football world cup and it, you know, all you were really trying to do is get a nice little windfall that yeah. you could go and spend at the pub. And uh, when you get into the stock market initially, it often is a very similar, you know, you're thinking in a very short time frame. how can I make a quick buck? You're there for the excitement. Yeah. Not the, so dividends the aren't, aren't really going to feature in, in that plan, but it's only when you really come to start dealing in bigger sums of money that you start thinking, okay, well maybe I need to think about where do the actual, returns come from and what the, do the historical get? composition of returns. And as you mentioned, it doesn't really feel like that should make sense, that a, a big bulk of the returns can come from income. And yet when you actually look back at the history, of, uh, especially in Australia, where dividend yields are relatively higher yep. due to the tax system. And, and you get the franking credits and stuff. Yeah. Due to the legislation, yeah. Yep. So at the peak of a cycle, people start losing all interest in earnings yields. Yeah, it's who really cares about, about that? Where will the market finish this year? One of the arguments of, you know, value investors is if you find a company that can compound the equity at a high rate, that's really good. And I don't disagree with that argument um, because I went down that route for a while. <laughs> the problem was trying to find the company that actually would do that was a lot harder than I thought it was. Now, it doesn't mean people can't do it because there are people who can do it. But my argument is for the general investor, it's so much easier to buy indexes and reinvest if they've got a dividend reinvestment plan. Again, if the market's low, well, you want to reinvest. If it's high, you don't want to reinvest and you want to take the income. So again, my argument or the, that I had with the value investors who said, look, you've got to find a company that compounds over the long term. Well, I can tell you it's not that bloody easy for a start. There's very few of them. If you have a look in the US, every 10 years, there's a different bunch of companies there throughout each decade. And so you've got to be a little bit on your metal there. But what I'm also saying is, you know, the idea of we're all Warren Buffett and you're looking for MasterCard or Wells Fargo that, you know, compounds over 30 or 40 years is great. The reality of finding Wells Fargo and compounding over 30 or 40 years is really bloody difficult. So my argument is cycle the dividend, if I can put it that way, again, through the timing aspects to say, if I can get, you know, and we talk about this in Well 3, if I can get a company that pays seven or eight, well, you know, you don't need to worry too much about the capital gain for a long time because you're getting a good lot of money. Um, and I might have talked about in the previous podcast where when I invested in the banks in 2000, I think I bought Commonwealth Bank, you know, at like 22 bucks or something. And it compounded at about 15% over the next 15 to 20 years. Well, you don't need to worry too much if you're getting that amount on your money. Commonwealth Bank is part of an oligopoly. So they're not that easy to, in, you know, to spot all the time. So it depends on the timing, the size of the company. But the argument is I'd rather get a dividend check and decide what to do with it than spend an inordinate amount of time trying to pick the next, 
you know, the next Warren Buffett stock sort of thing. Yeah, no, it's just occurred to me, we, we do have quite a few property investors here and we've probably assumed some knowledge there that not everyone might have. So uh, let's just um, explain the difference between the income and the capital gain and right. the return components from stock. So if you buy um, a property investment, there's really two different components to the return. There's the rental income yep. that you get either fortnightly or monthly. Let's say, for example, you've got a property that's worth $500,000, you get $25,000 of rental income. So the gross yield is, say, 5%. Uh, but by the time you've taken off the holding costs, like the property manager and the repairs and the vacancies, and it might be nearer, you know, half that or say 3%. Yep. So a lot of people in real estate are really hoping for the capital gain. Yep. So you, you're hoping that somebody will come to you down the track and say, well, I'll actually buy this property from you for a million dollars in 20 years' time. The rental income is not tax effective on property. It's actually taxable income. So even if you can find a property that's throwing off strong rental income streams, by the time you've taken off the repairs and the da-da-da, you need a very big property portfolio to live off the rental income. Yeah, uh, It can be done, especially in commercial property. So in the stock market, similar principles, but slightly different. So um, profitable companies look to pay a distribution out of their profits um, twice a year, uh, the dividend. So, so if you took the example of a company with a stock price of $100, you, know, you might get um, potentially, say, a 4 or 5% dividend yield in Australia, depending on the company, the stage in the cycle and so on, yep. often distributed twice a year. Um, dividend uh, checks is how they used to be distributed. You get them through the post. These days, as Steve already mentioned, you can look to actually reinvest dividends through what's called a dividend reinvestment plan. Uh, so effectively, just different way to compound your investment what um, you find, especially at the peak of a stock market cycle, is that people lose a lot of interest in the dividend income. Yeah, yeah. They're really just hoping for a quick gain on the stock price. But as we were touching on earlier there, so if you look at the historical returns from stocks, it's surprisingly big components of the returns actually comes from the income distributions or the dividends. Yeah, yeah. That's what when Buffett says, you know, if you want to buy, if you're a net buyer of stocks, you want to buy cheap because you get a better dividend return if the price is cheap rather than expensive. And my interpretation is Buffett is saying you want to compound that dividend, right? Because if you're a long-term holder, yes, you'll get capital gain, but you really want to focus on the, the dividend part. That's where the compounding really kicks in. Um, and so then in, in my mind, that naturally attracts you to dividend paying stocks. Now, as we know in the risk hierarchy, when we talk about the risk hierarchy, there's something like only 20% of the stocks on the ASX currently are profitable and pay a dividend. Well, that's a pretty small pool to, you know, to fish from. Really, when you look at it that way, if you said to yourself, oh, okay, so, all right, well, if I'm going to build wealth, I'm going to want to focus on that dividend and I want some capital gain. Okay, no worries. And we, we talk about that with timing. But purely with dividend or building wealth, the last thing you do is go, I'm going to buy all these mining speculators, right? Because you're probably going to lose your dosh. So again, what we know is that something like 90% uh, 90, 90 of companies that have ever been on the ASX have delisted worthless and at currently, I think it's 
delist worthless. So when you're looking at it, you're really reducing the odds of picking a good winner for a capital gain. You want to focus on where there's, you know, like property, it's, it's more attractive to get one that's actually positively geared rather than negatively geared where you're sort of hoping the, you know, the property price goes up. It's much easier to say, well, if worse comes to worse and this thing's not worth anything in 20 years' time, anything more, that's okay because I was getting a 7% yield in the rent. No worries. So it's a lot easier for me and I think for a lot of intermediate beginner investors to sit down pouring over annual statements, trying to work out whether there's a competitive advantage. I can't, I, I don't say it can't be done, but what I'm saying is it, we give the impression, we, the finance industry, give the impression you've got to be a stock picker. And it's not necessarily the case. You and I know this from our program. People go, yeah, 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 but I want to pick stocks. It's like, okay, well, if you want to pick stocks, pick the big dividend payers. Don't pick the mining speculators because, yeah, you might make, you know, you might make a lot of money really quickly, but I can guarantee you for every one of those, you'll have 10 losers and you'll, you know, you'll end up being poorer rather than richer. As we've often said, uh, especially in the mining industry where I used to work, people are very keen to tell you about the ones that doubled, not so keen (laughs) on the ones that just meandered to zero or close to it. So I think, uh, you know, a few of those. So Stephen mentioned what we call the risk hierarchy and that is essentially, you know, if you're looking at the risk being the permanent loss of capital, then you know, the lowest risk uh, equities investment might be like a global ETF. Yep. And then you come down to country ETFs and sector ETFs. Yep. And the individual company, there's always a greater risk that either the company just fails or it just is just a long-term underperformer. So yeah. if you must be a, a company stock picker, uh, the Buffett approach, as you mentioned, is really looking for companies that have a durable competitive advantage or a moat uh, so yep. I think we once talked about you know, some of the oil companies or tobacco companies or consumer staples, businesses that will just continue to increase their earnings yeah. over 10, They're 20, steady. 30 years. Uh, if you can get them at a good price, the dividend will increase over time, but also the, the stock price will take care of itself. If, if you've got increasing earnings, you don't need to worry too yeah. much. Uh, so that if you if you want to be a company picker, you know that is really the Buffett approach, looking at those uh, stable type of industries. If you're interested in um, dividend yields and you don't want to be a stock picker, so th- there's a couple of alternatives in Australia. So the listed investment companies, uh, some of the the LICs as they call them, that have been around for decades, they really take the the view of uh, investing in a, a basket, if you like, of uh, profitable companies which have been around for decades. So you know, broadly speaking in Australia, that means all of the major banks, a uh, range of insurance companies, financials, <laughs> yeah, a couple all of the, usual suspects. the big major mining companies, etc. Um, the alternative, um, which has become more popular in recent years, is simply the index fund, which just looks yeah. essentially to own the top few hundred companies by market cap and liquidity. So with that, you will actually pick up unprofitable companies if you own the index. But if you look at, I guess the general theory goes that you will actually get some companies that grow within that basket. You'll get all of the big dividend payers as well. And the average dividend yield, well, it fluctuates with the cycle, but in Australia might be about 4%. But the MSCI global average, so if you're looking at international 
uh, indexes, typically they pay out a lower dividend uh, distribution than in Australia. And that's partly, I guess, a function of the tax legislation in this country. Yeah. The thing about you mentioned about Buffett is too, Buffett always, you know, you've got to remember he's 89. You know, he's, he's old school. And what I mean by that is he always looks at security, right? So he says, I want a stock with a bond-like quality. That means you want to survive, right? So you might make a lots of money in the little field, but the survival rates are, are, are lower than they are in the, the bigger end of town. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't get a bigger end like an Enron or something that blows up, but you've still got the, you know, the weight of averages says you'll be safer up that end of town than you will be down the bottom end. And what Buffett is going on about is saying, well, if I can get 3% in a bond, then, you know, I can get three or four in a stock. That's really good. And I can get some capital growth if I've got the right type of company, right? And again, he doesn't stay at the small end of town because he realises that that's riskier, right? And this is what I sort of say to people all the time. Again, you want to look at indexes where you can get a steady dividend, right? That just, you know, makes a, you know, four or 5% that you can get in index dividends these days. And having an appropriate asset allocation and rebalancing mix really complements that. And when you do that, as we show people, it doesn't get that hard then. It gets a matter of saying, it's much easier to say, if the Australian index is never going to end, so you've got a, some sense of a security there that, you know, BHP, something could happen or, you know, it could, it could double in price and then go, stay low forever. The index generally represents the economy, which is, you know, bottom left, top right, moving it positively. If you can just look at that and say, the market's really low, but the dividend's now really good. Okay, well, that's a good time to put money in. And again, at the top, you can pair it off if you want, or you can just say, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the dividends either reinvested because the market's still going up, or alternatively, things are getting a bit iffy. I'm going to take the cash, wait for the, the index to decline again, and then put it in again, which is essentially what Buffett does because he's got glyco and he's got these cash cows that provide him the cash where he can compound at, you know, 15, 20% per year. But not everybody's Warren Buffett. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a Buffett-like investor if you use those, those techniques properly. And as, as we say, you know, it's not that hard. It's just a matter of getting the understanding and going, oh, okay. And as you alluded to a few weeks ago, I think, it's the mathematics of it. You know, it's not anything special about the stock market. It's just the same that professional gamblers do in, you know, cards or in um, horse racing. You know, it's about the way you manage your money. And part of that is, you know, like we were talking a couple of weeks ago about card games. You know, well, if you just have to keep doubling up all the time, well, you're going to be in strife. What you're winning, in my mind, is a bit of a dividend. So what you do is you say, well, I'm going to take that dividend and I'm going to put it aside because I've got a fair idea that I'll probably have a runner, I'll probably have a downside where I'll need more money to put back in, right? But if you just keep leaving your money there, getting up all the time, at some point, you know, just according to the law of large numbers, you're going to strike trouble at some stage. And so you've got to be prudent there. 
Yeah, so in Australia, uh, because of the dividend imputation franking credits, the idea of living off dividends is quite popular. It's, it's quite an attractive um, idea. It's certainly very tax efficient, especially um, with the legislation as is. Big uh, point of contention at the 2019 election, whether people should actually get refunds for on, on franking, uh, essentially uh, for tax that hadn't even been paid by the individual. Long story. Is there any preference to actually living from purely dividends or, you know, can you, are dividends a preferable way to actually get um, returns or does it even matter? Well, you could, I, I think you can probably do it with, depending on your circumstances, you can probably do it with a bit of both. But you've got to remember that the dividends partially come off the capital gains. Yeah, I think if you looked at the cumulative <coughs> return, you know, people say, well, Australia has higher dividend yields than yep. say the US but yeah. then if you looked at the returns over you know 10 years in the US you know since 2009 you wouldn't be complaining too much no, no, at no. the total return you know because profitable companies well if they're not paying out distributions that those yeah. returns are going somewhere either reinvested in the business or share buybacks or whatever else you know like again I'm always reminded of if you'd have invested in the Australian stock market in you know I don't know 1998 or something you'd have had two pretty big runs, one downside, 2000 and 2007. Um, but overall, I think you'd have averaged about, I don't know, 6 or 7%. If you'd have bought National Bank, the share price is now back where it was in 1998. Well, what did you get? Nothing. But you got the dividend, so that's something. But what I'm, I'm just simply demonstrating that you can hold stocks for the long term but it's the dividend that will probably sustain a lot of it. You know, Uncle Warren's argument is, well, if you, you can live off the dividends or you can sell, you know, some of your Berkshire stock every year, you know, and the same thing here. You can sell some of the, you know, some of the capital gain that you've made. I think, again, it gets back to active management. The important part of that is saying, what am I being offered at the moment? Right. And again, it always gets back to this thing where you kind of say, when I invested in 2009, the market was cheap. Cape ratio was 14. And, you know, in the US, you made lots of money. OK, it's not the same now. Right. The dividend yield back then was, I don't know, five or six or whatever it was. And now it's like, you know, one and a half. That's where you've got to say, well, hang on. Things are looking expensive. Right? And it doesn't matter if you're living off the dividends or it depends. If you've got zillions of dollars, it's like, okay, well, that doesn't worry me. But and most of us will say, well, all right, I should be prudent and take some of them off. Oh, I've got to pay tax. All right, well, you know, I don't have a problem with tax because I'd rather pay tax on money I've taken off the table than say to myself, geez, I just dropped 200000 in the stock market. Um, but the good news is I didn't pay 30 in tax. It's like, yeah, I reckon I would have taken the 30. You know, so I'm, I'm always impressing on people. What, what are they offering you? You know, what are the cards you've been dealt? And that should dictate to you whether you bet a lot or you don't bet much at all. And yeah. it doesn't mean you've got to bet every hand. That's what a lot of this stuff is always about. There, there's always this constant idea of you've got to be searching for stocks and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's a bit like, gosh, you know, that might be all right if you're a fund manager, but most of us don't want to be a fund manager. So, Yeah, look, it's a salient lesson from my journey is that, um, you know, the, the late 90s in Britain, 
people say, oh, surely the FTSE can't go from 5,000 to 6,000. And yes, it can. And wow, this is amazing. And But if you actually looked at the yield yep. at that time, it was awful. It was, re- it was just like in the US now. It was a very low level. This purely been reflected in very bad returns over yeah. the past 20 years. Now, yeah, yeah. Uh, as the market cap goes up, sorry, as the market rises, the yield, the dividend yield is getting worse. Mm. So because you're paying more. Yeah. You know, you don't want to pay more. You want to pay less. Now, in, in early 2020, the FTSE, um, FTSE's had a rubbish run because of Brexit and uh, UK going into another recession. But if you look at a lot of those big companies, just as you mentioned with National Australia Bank, um, a lot of the big uh, British blue chips are trading at 1996 Some prices. of them are pretty cheap, actually. Yes, and actually <laughs> the, FTSE, the FTSE yield is actually now much better. Now, yeah. there are some issues with the FTSE in that there's a, there's a few companies that might be uh, <laughs> not uh, the most ethical. <laughs> yes, and there's, there's a few, uh, few that might not last the course. But overall, the market valuation is much more attractive than it was 20 years ago. The CAPE is at about 14, if I remember. Yeah. And correctly. the yield is pretty good. Yeah. And, um, you know, part of it, um, is some of those big energy companies, yep. but there's plenty in there, you know, uh, healthcare yep. stocks that are paying a decent yield. And that's really <coughs> what the US in 2019, you were looking at, everyone was interested in the capital gain, the, yeah. the dividend, well, who cares? You know, people were much more interested in that's the That's when you know the market's starting to get carried away, you know, when everybody, and as I said, the last few months, there's this incessant talk about, you know, the stock market moving up and the stock market moving down and, you know, the stock market moving, it's like, crikey, you know, the, the earnings yield or the dividend yield has hardly moved. The corollary of that is, you know, the market moves down, everybody goes, oh my God, this is terrible. It's like, what are you kidding? This is fantastic. I'm now going to, you know, invest my money and get more for it rather than, you know, invest it and get less for it. Yeah, of course. If you're a net buyer of stocks, yeah. then cheaper prices and higher earnings yields are, are clearly Who a doesn't good want thing. cheaper prices? Yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, as you said, uh, some of those uh, more stable industries, you know, the telcos, yeah, consumer yeah. staples, energy, you know, some really good yields can come on offer there. But, um, yeah, the the peak of a cycle, people are much more interested in the next big tech stock or the next... Yeah, um, you, know, you get carried away with the buzz, mm-hmm. and it's, it's you know it's not it's difficult to resist the general vibe when you know particularly when it's exciting. You know, it's like going to a party, and you know everybody's on the the sauce and they're all having a great time, and you're trying to be prudent. It's a bit like oh geez, you know this is not much fun, but you know I can guarantee you'll wake up tomorrow with a, a clearer head than you know those that got on it. It took me a lot of years to learn that lesson. So, um, so as we always, I still learn it occasionally. <laughs> as we uh, always try and bring it back to, uh, so this is um, you know, the importance of a systematic approach. Yeah, because yeah. if you don't have a systematic approach, it's pretty much inevitable. You will be drawn. You'll be drawn into that buzz. Essentially, that's just the way it works. Because you'll be the lure of quick profits at the peak of a cycle is too too uh, hard to resist. It's, yep, just in the same way. Uh, the, the punch bowl uh, at the party is yep. uh, very attractive as midnight approaches. So I think uh, we'll wrap it up there for today. So thanks for joining. So today we've been talking about paying dividends, the role and importance of distributions. And uh, just remember when people are only focused on the capital gains and they're not interested in the earnings yield, um, that's probably a sign that um, it's time to peel some off and just be, be a bit prudent. more prudent. Yes. So thanks for joining. We'll see you next week. Cheers. See you next week. Bye.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.